Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Throughout each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone, and that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We cultivate leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we're encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we'll be hearing from Dr. Jeff Warren. Jeff grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and is the senior pastor at the Park Cities Baptist Church in Dallas. He studied illustration and graphic design in his undergrad, and he has a master's degree in theology and a doctorate with a focus on Christian apologetics. He's a pastor, speaker, author, and artist who has a singular message of God's amazing grace. He is a champion for biblical justice and seeks to unite the church across racial, economic, and cultural lines in order to see a gospel movement across DFW, our nation, and the world. He passionately explores the intersection of faith and culture as he helps raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. He loves helping guide Park Cities to lead all generations to love Jesus. Without further ado, Dr. Jeff Warren. Wow, wow, wow. I'm like, get me up here. All right, let's go. Hey, I'm so excited to be with y'all. I get, wow, look at the Shekinah glory of God that's just coming probably off my head. Can y'all see me at all? Like, <laughs> come on. Hey, um, I am so thrilled to be here, and I want to maximize our time. Here's what I want to do. I don't know, uh, I would guess often in chapel, someone comes, preaches a sermon, got this text, let's go. And that's normally what I do. I mean, I, that's what I do every Sunday. We preach expository sermons from the text. And uh, today I'm going to do that, but... I'm going to draw from a singular verse in particular, and uh, my goal here today is to encourage you. That's why I'm here. I want to, uh, to encourage you, and what I've said, if there's a title to this message, I stole this from Eugene Peterson, who uh, you've probably heard the phrase, he talked about a long obedience in the same direction, um, staying in for the long haul. Uh, I'm now on the other side of all this. I, you, you missed that I was in student ministry for lots of years, which I, t- I tell people I could still be doing student, student ministry, having fun, because I'm kind of allergic to adults uh, most of the time. But um, I love working with students, and what I have done now, I'm kind of now them that, the guy who's been at it for a while. So when I talk to young leaders, seminarians, college students, whatever else, it's always, I get the question, man, how have you stayed in with so many people that are flaming out? Um, and this is not new. I mean, I, I saw this when I was younger. Pastors who just, uh, you know, burn out, flame out, um, do something crazy. And we've seen a lot of that in, even in, you know, in recent uh, years. But uh, if COVID, how about this? If COVID didn't take you out, you can't be taken out. Amen? Um, if, if you're still standing after COVID, Satan can't take you out. And um, this is the case. So, so I, Stacy and I do parenting, you know, kind of you know, conversations or couples conferences, whatever else. And we, we say this, I'll say this to you all uh, this morning. It's not that I, I don't have all the answers. Um, like there, there aren't perfect parents. Okay. There are those who've done it. Um, there aren't, there's no perfect pastor, but I have been at it for a while. 
and I've learned some things, uh, mostly from, yeah, the good and the bad, mistakes made, all the things. I want to talk about flourishing in ministry for the long haul, because uh, I want you, all of you, uh, called into ministry to stay in. And I want to encourage you today, because some of you in a crowd this size, some of you are thinking, I just don't know. And uh, I just want to encourage you today. So how do you continue to cultivate a personal character in your life as you serve the Lord? Because there's too often uh, so many people that I run into might be in full-time ministry, part-time disciple. Full-time, all-in ministry, part-time disciple. The quick answer is to how do you develop character throughout uh, life, your ministry, uh, is to become like Jesus. Okay, that's the quick answer, but I want to talk about that. I'm going to give you, if you want to take notes, y'all are, y'all are in class. You're used to being in class. So I'm going to give you first four, um, four points here on how you can cultivate, uh, continue to cultivate personal care. The first one is embrace the gospel of free grace. All right? Now, even that is a redundant statement. Did you catch it? If it's not free, it's not grace. Grace is one-way love that comes to us from Christ. We do nothing to achieve it. We do nothing to gain it. But we preach it. We teach it. We scrutinize it. I have people who just, you know, often through the years, I just want to go deeper in the Word. Um, and I don't know why they always talk like that, but it go deeper in the word. And what they mean often is, um, let's get underneath the history. Let's get into the languages. Let's talk about the context. And yes, yes, and yes, by the way, very important. The first question we ask when we approach scripture is, what did it say? Not what does it say? But what did it say to the original hearers? Let's get underneath the context. Now let's talk about how to apply it today but we but we cannot here's my point you can't go deeper than the gospel amen you can't go deeper than the gospel we've got to get underneath the gospel it's got to drive everything that we do and uh, when I was about 28 close to 30 probably I had what I know we all have throughout our Christian lives if we stay at it stay in uh, I had a major grace awakening I call it and I've had others since where I thought I got the gospel, I get it, wow, this is amazing, and then God just blows my mind again. And I was uh, probably, I was doing student ministry at the time, and um, here in Dallas, and, and having a blast, just going at it, and from outside looking in, I had a flourishing student ministry, and having a blast, and you would have thought, man, Jeff is, he's killing it, and he, wow, and, but, but something else was going on with me. I, I was, all I was doing was ministry. Because if you haven't figured this out yet, you need to. Ministry is like, like a drug. Um, and I had this real high need to be needed. Um, you know, you can determine your worth. You've all heard this, taught it, heard it, student ministry, whatever. Uh, you can determine your, your, your worth in a couple of ways, through your performance or, or through the approval of others. And frankly, most people live that way. And I got out of student ministry and realized, oh, most adults live that way. But the gospel is the third way. By the way, the gospel is always the third way. It's not religion. It's not irreligion. It's a third way altogether. Can you live in a way that is not driven by the approval of others or by your performance in some certain area of your life? Oftentimes, we flip it into ministry, and that's where I was. I couldn't stop. And I, I mean, privately, I'm like, who's pointing a gun in my head? And there's a longer story there, but it was, it was on me. And out of that, the Lord started to break me down, and I've discovered that much of sanctification, becoming like Jesus, really is a stripping away of idols in our lives, right? 
And that sounds great. I mean, we're sitting here in this comfortable place, wonderful school, talking about stripping away of idols. That is terrifying, by the way. If you haven't experienced much of that, and it's always for our good. We'll talk a little bit about that. The first thing you need to do is embrace the gospel of free grace. So let's talk about it. This is probably where I'll spend more of my time. What, what lit me up, what changed my life, was what became then my life verse, which is 2 Corinthians 5.21. You got it on the screen there? Let's read it together. Is it there? Yeah. Let's go. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Okay, now, uh, for those of you who, who, who know Greek at all, um, there's a henna clause there, the so that. The first part of that verse we all know, right? He, okay, God, made him, who's him? Thank you. That's pro- probably a good guess here, right? Um, Jesus, he made him to, who knew no sin. Just as central to your salvation as his death on the cross, taking your punishment, your shame upon himself on the cross, just as central to that is the fact that he lived the perfect life for you. You understand that? See, here's here's what I, I tell our people often. Jesus did not come to be your good example. Oh, he's that. First, He came to be your substitute. That's who he is. Think about it. If he's your example, what would Jesus do? We all know, right? What would WJ... What would WWJD? Yeah, that. Um, Think about it. What, What would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask, too, by the way, as a disciple. But whatever Jesus would do, consider it. He would do it perfectly. Whatever he would do, he will do it perfectly. Good luck with that. Go work harder. um, Get better. Let's pray together. Right? That's not the gospel. And we talk about this on my preaching team often. We don't want people to leave. I don't want you to leave going, whew, I need to work harder, get better. The gospel is not work harder, get better. The gospel is believing more deeply what Christ has already accomplished for you. That's what the gospel is. And and what happened in my life, when I read this verse, and we all get this, the first half of that verse is the gospel. He took upon himself our sin, he he knew no sin, took upon himself our sin on the cross, bam, praise the Lord. The latter part of this verse is what changed my life. There's a comma and there's a henna clause, which is Paul's, he uses them all over, over the place. It's a purpose clause. This happened in order that this might be true. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about this. What is the righteousness of God? I've asked this question to high school students, college students, adults, gatherings like this. What is the righteousness of God? And it's often uh, crickets. And I'm struck again by the fact that we don't know who we are. And that is a problem. And what happened for me, I had this major shift in my life when I realized I have become, and then watch this, in him, and in no other way, but if I'm in him, covered in his righteousness, right, I am totally accepted, fully pleasing, completely loving to God, full stop. That's who I am. And young people, listen to me. If you don't minister out of that, you're going to get into all kinds of craziness. 
going to be bumping up against each other. You're going to continue to seek the approval of others, even in the name of God. You're going to be seeking to perform. How many people came to my Bible study? How many people we got to this? Oh, I'm, and we're, you're going to live like this. This is fun out at Six Flags on a roller coaster. But in life, this will make you sick. And a lot of people, even in ministry, are sick because they have not yet appropriated the gospel. I love what the, living, the old living Bible says. He took our sin and he poured it into himself. And he took his righteousness and he poured it into us. And for us to start ministry in every single day. I, I've determined through the years, being a Christian, and I was going to say particularly in ministry. Not, not particularly in ministry. Being a disciple of Jesus is to remain in him. And, and so every time I enter to worship, when I go into my quiet time, as I did this morning, Lord, remind me again of how much you love me. Remind me again of how much you love me. Because I'm going to forget today. There's going to be some stuff coming at me, and, and I'm, I'm going to remind me again of how I don't have to justify myself before you or anybody else. And, and, and listen, there's so many out there our, our generation in particular, we got, the, we got now the celebrity pastor, right? We got so much of the world sneaking into the church where we're trying to validate ourselves. The biblical word is justify. I'm going to validate myself. Hey, yo, look at me. I'm up here in prison. You know, I'm, I'm going I'm to blast, put it on blast. Look what I'm eating. Woo! You know, whatever. We're trying to justify our existence and what we're doing in the Bible says, no, 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 Jesus has already justified us before holy God, right? You've heard it said, justification, to be justified is just as if I'd, what? Never sinned. I got one better for you, particularly those of us who grew up in church, just as if I'd always obeyed. Listen, you are not defined by your past. You're defined by Jesus' past. And his past is perfect. We now have a new identity in him. It's, this, it's Luther's alien righteousness that's come, come from elsewhere, not our own. Namely, Christ's righteousness. It's, it's extra nos. It's outside of us. And it comes to us. And the thing that I've learned through the years is this. To remain in that is the key to ministry. And I could argue, I, I tell, tell an attorney, I tell a doctor, tell a business person, the key to life is to remain in him. It's not about, just about ministry. But there are too many in ministry who don't get this, who don't understand it. And this changed my life. You can't get underneath the gospel enough. Because what's happened, many of us in ministry, preaching, teaching, have, have missed the gospel. And we've fallen asleep. I love what Dallas Willard says in his book, Divine Conspiracy. He writes this at the beginning. This is the premise of his book. My hope is to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus, especially among those who believe they already understand him. In his case, quite frankly, presumed familiarity has led to unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity has led to contempt, which means to look down on, not see it as it is, not see him as he is. And contempt has led to profound ignorance. Now, I realize you've got to unpack that whole quote. Uh, you can do that later. Take a picture of it or something. But here's the thing. We, we have fallen asleep. We think, I ask this question all the time, and I, I suppose I'm being recorded, but, but this is fine. Can I teach somebody something they think they already know? The quick answer is, heck no. The answer is the gospel 
still changes hearts. And there's a grace awakening coming for every person who thinks they get it. And my hope is that we'll be captured by the gospel all over again. Embrace the gospel. Secondly, live out your gospel identity. Live it out. Fully loved. Completely forgiven. Don't fall back on what you've always fallen into. And many of us, we struggle. We all struggle. We all struggle with sin. We always wrestle with sin in our lives. Thomas Chalmers um, was a Scottish preacher uh, back in the 1800s. And he preached a sermon back in the day, Dr. Kramer, when, uh, when sermons had titles. He, he preached a sermon that was called the, the uh, he called it the, the, the expulsive, not a word we use often, ex, not explosive, expulsive power of a new affection. Now hang with me. See, what we do often to, to wrestle with sin, we want to abide in Christ. Yes, that's key. We'll talk about that. I'm going to abide in him, but I've got, I got to overcome sin. I've got this habit I've got to get rid of. i got to, oh, man, I'm, I finally, I'm convicted. Finally, I'm convicted. I've got to get rid of this. I've got to do this better. Do and here's what we do. We work harder, get better. I'm going to be accountable. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to pray more. And I'm going to ask you, how's that going for you? All those are good things. Be in the word. Yes, be, be among God's people. All of those things are necessary. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Augustine talked about disordered love. He defines sin as love out of order. It's not that we, not, we're not supposed to love. We're supposed to love things in order. And what uh, Chalmers says is the gospel is the expulsive power of a new affection. Expulsive means, again, not a word, it means eliminating. It's the thing that that pushes all else out to get rid of, to expel, to eliminate. And this guy was a brilliant scientist as well as a theologian. And he described it this way. He said, it's like having a beaker in the lab. There's two ways to displace air out of a beaker. He said, "You you can get a pump you pump the air out till there's no air. Or, on the other one, you can fill it up with water to the top. The water displaces air. He described the latter. The gospel becomes this expulsive power of a new affection that dominates all other loves in our lives. Because all of our idols are, are overcome eliminated by the power and the expulsive power of of a new affection that's found in Jesus. The power of the gospel is what changes our lives. That's why we got to constantly go back to the gospel. Constantly tell our people, teach our students, tell our folks that, listen, God loves you. God loves you. Let's get underneath that again. Let's talk about the gospel again. Let's dive into the depths of justification, what that means. Saved by faith, not by works. Let's go there again. It's what C.S. Lewis was getting out when he talked about in the weight of glory. He said that the Lord doesn't see our desires as too strong, but too weak. That's when he said we're piddling around in mud puddles instead of dreaming about a, a holiday at the sea. Meaning we don't have this stronger attraction and more compelling joy that's found only in the gospel. And so if there's one thing I can tell you, it's to... To go after Jesus every single day. Thirdly, fully devote yourself to abide in Him. It's already been referenced this morning. This is it. Abiding in Him is John 15. The most important thing I I learned when I was a seminarian and, uh, gosh, an intern at at a church. My mentor said, Jeff, the most important thing you'll do in ministry every single day will be your quiet time before the Lord. 
that will be it. And that is what he's called us to. On August 4th, I read this when I was in college, um, from my utmost for his highest. Oswald Chambers, he writes this. It's called The Brave Friendship of God. You can mark down August 4th, find it online. He, he writes this. The most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain and the surrounding influences and qualities produced by that one relationship. That is all, I love his language here, that is all that God has asked us to give our attention to. And it is the one thing that is continuing under attack. Has anybody figured that out yet? Constantly under attack. Even some of us now are convicted like, yeah, I'm having a hard time finding time to pray. I am just busy. I got, I got kids at home. You can't imagine. Young, I'm trying to, I, it's hard to have quiet time. It's not, it's not priority for you. We make time for what we're most passionate about, right? And what's, what the problem for many of us, and this happens in ministry, is that everybody has needs, right? I, I, I describe my work so often, I say no to really good things all the time. And that's not easy for recovering approval addicts, right? That's not easy. But I've gotten to where I can do it when I want to focus on the main thing that he's called me to. And, and so uh, Matthew 6, Jesus, you know, he tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All else will be added unto you. Now, in the context, he's talking about clothing, food, all the things. But here's our problem. The problem, Jesus didn't talk about balance. He talked about an all-out pursuit of one thing. And everything else finds its place in life. The problem with many of us, you look up the etymology of the word uh, priorities. Not a word. Like, yes, it's in the dictionary. That doesn't make sense. There's only one first. There's only one priority. Is abiding in Him your one thing? Is that the main thing? Number four, differentiate your daily walk from ministry. Differentiation is the key. Uh, Edwin Freeman wrote a book. He's a rabbi. wrote a book on systems theory applied to congregations in a book called Generation to Generation. And he talked about the differentiation of the leader from from the work, I'd put it this way. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a friend, I'm a, oh, I'm a pastor. None of those things are the truest thing about me. C.S. Lewis said, never base your worth, I paraphrase, on something that can be taken away. Right? How crazy is that? It's why a professional athlete has a career-ending injury, and he doesn't need just physical therapy, he needs therapy, therapy. He doesn't know who he is anymore. Never base your worth on something that can be taken away, and that includes, I could argue, ministry, task, programming, some position. Okay? Differentiate your daily walk. And then I want to close with this. I'm going to jump forward and, and tell you what, I, what I've learned. I'll say this quickly um, so we can have a little Q&A here. Uh, I've learned how to redefine success. This has been real helpful for me. This happened during COVID where, you know, you can't, we couldn't count anybody anymore. So ministry or success must not be about numbers. We can't even get together anymore. So I was asking with our team during that time, what is success in ministry? Then I realized God could have slapped me up in the head and said, that's the wrong question. There's a question before the question. Not success in ministry tells you where my mind was. What, what is success in life? How, how do you define success? And Mary Oliver, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning poet, 
um, I, I read this quote. I think it was from John Mark Comer's book, Daily, Daily Elimination of Hurry, or whatever. The, yes? The Elimination of Hurry, that book, um, which is just Dallas Willard um, rewritten, but, but he's awesome. Um, but the, the attention is the beginning of devotion. Think about that for a minute. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And then I was thinking, wow, worship is the be- no focus is the beginning of worship. Not just not just like y'all, let's get focused, but focus on who God really is, what Scripture says about Him, who He really is. Focus is the beginning of worship. Focus is the beginning of love, right? So this was so freeing for me. Faithfulness is being focused in the moment. Because what I came to was, what is success? Success is faithfulness. Full stop. Not, well, I've been faithful. How many people have come? Now, did, did they like that? Am I, am I doing, was I, am I, am I? No, 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 no. Faithfulness to the Lord is full stop. That's success. So then I started to think about, well, what is, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is being focused in the moment. This has is, this is really been revolutionary for me. It's being faithful to whomever he has placed in front of you. In the moment. For me to be totally focused with whomever he's put in front of me. Right here and right now. It's being faithful to whatever he has called you to do in the moment. I have a recovering friend who, who said, I said, man, how do you do it, bro? You're like seven years, I don't know, clean. And, and he said, I live in the moment. If I go to the past, a shame and regret. That's all I've got. If I go to the future, it's worry and anxiety. I live right now. And I'm, I'm calling us all to live right now, to abide in Him right now. He says, abide in my love. Abide in me. And then you put that together for an hour here, there, throughout the day. Matthew 25, 23 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen? Praise be to God. So I just pray over you that the Lord will bless you, that you will abide in Him and in His love and live out of that and serve out of that in the days to come. It's been a great joy to be with you. I know it took a little longer than anticipated, perhaps. Absolutely fine. Y'all join me in thanking Dr. Warren. Thank you. Thank you very much. Stay right there, and we'll bring you a chair. All right. Uh, as they're bringing you a chair and as you guys are thinking of the questions you may want to ask, I'm going to ask you. one question uh, to get the conversation started, maybe, maybe two, maybe, maybe a complex question. Let's go. Uh, so first of all, ha- you know, when was it that you realized you would be going into ministry? I mean, you're from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was then. Maybe mm-hmm. it was after you moved. Well, you came here to study. Yep. So I'm assuming you kind of knew you were going into ministry. Was it a sense of calling or just, just the short version of yeah, how you came to it? It's interesting to look back and to realize, oh, yeah, that was happening all the while, you know, so it's clear looking back. Uh, the quick answer is I was a junior in, in college. I was involved in crew, um, and I realized I was doing evangelism, being discipled, uh, loving it, leading worship and such, and realizing I want to do, for me, it was almost as logical as I want to do this with my whole life, like all the time. I want to get paid to do this. Like, that'd be my job. You know, it'd be cool. And so yeah. that was it. That's the quick answer. So association with crew. How many of y'all are familiar with crew? Anybody? So some of you. Campus, yeah. So we used to call it Campus Crusade for Christ. Then we decided we didn't like genocides. Went with the name. Right. Yeah. Instead. Good name. Change. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah. changed a little bit. <laughs> uh, so here's the here's the real question I wanted to ask you though. 
from that time until now, and especially considering the ministries that God has given you and the form it's taken now, one of the most prominent churches in the state and so, and so mm -hmm. on, something has changed probably. There's some difference between what you thought ministry was going to be wow. and what it turned out to be. I'm just curious if there is a particularly strong form of that difference that you'd be willing to share with us uh, to say this wasn't what I expected, but Gosh. it's turned into what God made ministry for me. Yeah, that's a great question. There's a lot of ways I could answer that. You know, I'd, I'd probably have a list of 100 things that, wow, I didn't know ministry was, would bring this. Um, the quick answer is I never dreamed I'd be a pastor. Like a, a lot of you, maybe at your age, all I want to do is student ministry. That's all I knew, really. And um, then I got to know some pastors, frankly, and I was like, I, mm, I ain't doing that. Um, not going to do that. And then the Lord, as he does, you know, in his humor and kindness, I started to get such a passion, uh, develop a passion for the church. And then it came to, while I was doing young adult ministry, it came to, wow, I just have such a passion for the local church, to a point where it was, I think I could do this. Like, what am I thinking? Am I crazy? To, over time, I must do this. I, he's calling me now to do this. Amen. Good. Uh, and I, uh, so I'm going to take from that, and you have a question over here. Good. Uh, we're going to come to you right now after I make this statement, which is simple. I just want to point out that the form your ministry takes is probably not fully mature in your mind mm -mm. As, as it obviously is in God's mind. And so that flexibility and willingness to sort of shift and become something else that he's called you to be is a good thing. Well, Just as long as you're still laying your life down. For I it. wonder, That's I do sit, I'll sit in my office, you know, certain days and go, how in the world did I end up here? Um, and here it is. I'd like to think, uh, well, the sovereignty of God, all those things. I'd like to think abiding in him daily. That's how we get anywhere, right? Um, the gospel that we preach is not, yay, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. The gospel that we preach, if it doesn't produce disciples, it's not, the it's not the gospel Jesus preached. The gospel produces someone who says, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll, I'll go to heaven, praise God, I understand all that. I'll go wherever you lead me. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that happens every day, just to die to yourself, keep following him, and over time you look back, <laughs> like you can do, look back and go, that's how I got here. The hand of God each day. Amen. Closing doors, opening doors, all the things. Amen. You got a question or a comment? Yes. Uh, hi. Hey. <laughs> uh, my question was, well, you kind of touched on it just now, but you talked about just being faithful and wherever he calls you to be or yeah, wherever it is. Mm -hmm. So did you have, I guess, did you ever have fear on where you felt God was calling you to be? And if you had, how did you fear? fear? Over the, yeah. Yeah. So, yes and yes. I don't know that uh, fear goes away. I could argue fear, if you're not afraid, that doesn't demand a lot of faith, right? It's like, oh, I'm good. I got this. So when I was called back to Park Cities, I came back with my eyes wide open, I think, to a church I knew well. And there was probably some fear. I, I had fear in leaving McKinney. We lo I loved being there. And that's a longer story. The Lord tore my heart out to leave McKinney and to come to Dallas, but I knew he was calling me here. And that's a longer story to unpack because I've learned a lot. But, uh, yeah, I think we wrestle with, uh, with fear in the midst of faith, with faith and remaining in him. 
I think that's how you overcome fear. Reminded, I'm defined by how he loves me. Not by my performance, not by the approval of others. I can step into that. But you have to have a, almost a militant spirit that says, not, not today, Satan. Don't, no, don't, come at me with, don't come at me with those lies. So you've got to combat lies that bring fear with the truth of, of Scripture. That's why you've got to know his word, by the way, and remain in it. I tell my people, listen, we're Christians. At some point, you have to open this book right here. And if we really believe that God speaks through this, through this Bible, through his word, wouldn't we be, and I'm, talk, I'm preaching to, to the choir, wouldn't we be obsessed with this book? I mean obsessed with it. Like, wouldn't we be in it every day, multiple times a day, if he speaks through his word? And so the longer answer is, I've almost make equivalent now, being filled with the spirit being filled with the Word of God, being filled with the truth of God. Because that is how we combat fear, is the truth, not the lies we're here. Yeah, it's a good question. Thank you for that. Anybody else have a question or a comment you want to do right over here in the middle? Got them? Got a mic coming. Thank you very much. Hi. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, I've found, as I've started this interim position at my church that I've encountered a lot of discouragement just from like telling people that they can't play harmonica on Sundays or telling people that they can't serve because they aren't devoted to Christ Mm. or even coming to church. So how do you either combat or just not feel as discouraged in those moments where you have to say no or experience the hardship of somebody's not where they need to be? Mm, wow, that's, that's a big question. Um, my quick answer is grace upon grace. You know, as leaders, ministers were called, I tell my staff this often, I think it's First Peter 2, 6, um, you know, it, it says to, to care for, to, to tend for the flock that you've been given. You can't, you can't lead people you don't love. And um, there's just some hard people. How about this? I'm a, I'm a hard person to love. That's where I think it flips, where we go, you know, I'm not, none of us are, are there, right? And to be on staff or interim position, whatever, on, uh, being ministers on a staff is not us against them. It's us for them. It's extending the grace to them. Because check it out, the leader sees the future first. Or you're not, you're not a visionary leader. The leader sees where we ought to be, and the leader, it's why we're here, why you're in the room. We want to disciple people to where they, uh, where the Lord is leading them. You know, Jesus saw the potential in people. His staff team was a mess, by the way, uh, most dysfunctional team ever. And yet, he called them, in John 17, he called them gifts to him. You've given these men to me. And now here's, here's Peter, a man fully devoted to you. Here's Matthew, tax collector. Uh, I think Jesus had those same struggles. Like, are you freaking kidding me? You don't get it yet. Even after the resurrection, they're going, is now when you're going to set up the kingdom? He's like, emoji, you know. Are you kidding me now? Um, so that's where I go. It's grace upon grace. And I've learned to outgrace people. And yes, there are. I've got some things going on right now. There are times we have to say, that's not happening anymore. No, you can't do that. This ministry is going to flourish, but you're not going to be a part of it. 
Um, those are hard things to do in ministry, but I've learned that, yeah, to have people around you, to encourage you in those times, not be alone in those decisions, uh, but just stay in the Word, abide in Him, remember who you are in Him. And I think the discouraging days, you can keep pressing on, but there will be many discouraging days. That's why the calling to, uh, to ministry and the calling to Him is so critical to keep going back to. All right, and uh, if we have one more question, we have time for one, but also the musicians, if y'all are going to come lead us in another song, y'all come up right now and mm-hmm. start getting ready for that, all right? This will be our last. Yeah. Do I see the musicians? There are they already up there? Ah, they're surprising us from the back. Okay. Yes, sir, go ahead. First off, I just want to say go Tar Heels. Um, come on, let's Second go. off, uh, I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Like, what are some ways that we can just – just be covered in his righteousness daily. Because I know sometimes in ministry nowadays, like you said, it's very wear and tear, and sometimes we can get burned out. Um, and so what are some ways that we can just, when we're in those moments where we're burned out and when we're in those moments where we just feel like, you know, giving up, what are some ways that we can just bathe in his righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, just take that in fully. It's good. Uh, again, I, I think to make it, it, there's only one first, to make it the the top priority of your heart and mind is, is again, that, that simple prayer that I offer probably multiple times in the day. It takes, it's a discipline. Um, Lord, remind me again of how much you love me. When I come into worship, I'm mean, we're about to sing a song. Lord, remind us again how good you are. Um, and I can't underestimate when people ask me, what's the, what are you most excited about in your church right now? Our entire church family is reading through uh, Scripture together every single day. I say entire those who are holy and going to heaven. Um, <laughs> we're we're reading, reading Scripture together, and I can't underestimate that enough, to stay in the Word every day because the Word combats the lies that we hear, and the person lying to you more than anyone on the planet is yourself. Not everybody else around you. And you can combat the lies that, yes, are coming from the outside, but to combat the, the lies of Satan within, you've got to do it with His Word and loving people around you that will affirm you and remind you how much you're loved. Yeah. So community, the Word of God, prayer, Lord, remind me again. It's why we have the Lord's Supper too, right? He said, you're going to forget. You're going to forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. You're going to forget. So that's a great question. And... um, (laughs) Amen. Sorry. All right, y'all. Let's thank Dr. Warren one more time. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.